Hi everyone, this is Jeff. And this is Russ. When we first started Home on the RNG, we began it as a series of videos, and we produced quite a few before we realized it really works better as a podcast. Whoops-a-doodle. So we apologize if any of these early episodes have any visually heavy references that don't transfer to the audio medium. Whoops-a-doodle. Thanks for listening. what's going to happen. Uh, today we are reviewing Final we Fantasy. We might not make it through this alive. <laughs> okay. Today we are playing Final Fantasy 4. 2? Or 4? Or so, American 2? Uh, I know I played the original version of 2 that came out for the SNES. Is that the version you played for this review as well? That is the version I okay. played, yes. So... so. I mean, for those of you who live under a rock, for those of you who live under a rock and don't know what the hell happened, uh, so Final Fantasy One came out and one is the same everywhere. Two and three came out in Japan on the NES. They did not make their way to America. That for many many decades. Four came out and I guess was a big enough success in Japan that they wanted to bring it to America, but they couldn't say, "Okay, here's Final Fantasy Four, because everybody would have gone, "Okay, but where's, where's two and two? three? Where's three? Where can I buy that?" So when you they can't. brought it over, they called it originally two. Two. Now, since then, they have gone back to calling it four, just so everybody's on the same page. So ninety percent of the time, this game is called Final Fantasy. What did 4. you do, Square? What did you do? But we played the version as it originally came out, we did. which yes. was Final Fantasy. Two for the Super Nintendo. Super Nintendo. The one with Cecil and Kane, okay? Yes. Okay. Right. Let's go ahead. Now that we've done the history of the game, let's do our history with the game. Yay. <laughs> this, this personal history segment is becoming a little redundant. But I do have kind of a funny anecdote um, about this game. I rented it. It was my first Final Fantasy. I didn't play Final Fantasy One on the NES until after this. Um, so when I was nine or however old I was when this came out, um, I got my Super NES for Christmas, and I rented this game from our local video store in my hometown. And I rented it every weekend for like three solid months. 
um, and was saving up my allowance because my mom was teaching me responsibility. So I was saving my, my allowance to buy the game on my own. And in the course of renting the game, like every weekend for a three month period, I actually broke the store's copy of it. Um, and I think my mom had to pay for it. I don't really know. I was only nine years old um, and she didn't take it out of my allowance or anything. And she did let me just go ahead and buy the game with what I had. Um, but anyway, I was so obsessed with this game that I ruined a Super NES cartridge somehow in like 1992. Um, yeah, and I've played this game like 20 times since then. So um, yeah, lo lots of personal history with this game. I have personal history with this game. It's very exciting. Um, and actually my anecdote is oddly resonant with Russ's a little bit. I never actually owned Final Fantasy II when it came out. Uh, I borrowed it from friends, I rented it, I played the hell out of it. I never owned a copy. I finally actually bought a copy of the SNES cart like two years ago. I saw it sitting on a shelf for like 20 bucks and I was like, yes, it deserves that. I know I have every other version of this game. It deserves my 20 bucks as well. But uh, when emulators first came out, one of the things I wanted to do was play Final Fantasy IV again. Uh, because since I'd never owned it, I felt like there were patches. Because when you rent it, you don't always pick up from the same place. And, you know, I, I wanted to play it straight through in one sitting. But early emulators had an issue where they couldn't do transparent layers. Which matters because the very first dungeon you walk through is the Mist Cave which has a misty film over the screen. And in early emulators, that just meant the dungeon was a white screen. You couldn't see anything. So I went to Blockbuster, and this was well past the Super Nintendo's lifespan, but they still had a copy for rent. I rented it, hooked up my old Super Nintendo, and wrote down the steps to get through that mist cave. Go up two steps, go over this many steps, open this treasure chest, go up the... I had a post-it note with the entire directions written out so that when I returned the game, I could then get back to the emulator and I could play the game and get through the Mist Cave. And I actually had that post-it note for many years. It just, like, I'd open up a drawer and there would be again. So I was very dedicated to getting to play this game. I really, I really enjoyed this game, as we will discuss in greater length. Personal testimony, Final Fantasy IV. Uh, as, uh... As is my reputation, I play video game music on real instruments, and I've been doing that for about 10 years now. The very first time I ever thought to pick up the bass, which I had just gotten and was just learning at about age 13, was while playing Final Fantasy II. Um, I was trying to learn the battle music, so I'd sit there and like actually play it on bass. And uh, never succeeded. Uh, it would be years before I was good enough to actually play video game music, but... Uh, that was a soundtrack that affected me so heavily and actually made me realize that video game music was a thing that you could play on real instruments. And uh, in fact, in a, uh, in a band I, I've, I've left, but it was my first video game cover band, Descendants of Erdrich, we, uh, we actually covered um, all the battle themes from Final Fantasy IV, which fulfilled a, a, a lifelong personal goal of mine. So that's my, uh, that's my history with the game. Oh, and one more thing. I rented it once uh, back when, you know, before I bought it because it was an RPG. It was too expensive. But uh, my strategy was to save my games in the last slot. And I went to Naming Way and I named all five of my characters. Please don't save over this. 
and the next time I rented it, that data was still there. Kingdom of, is it Barone? You make fun of me for I'm way I pronounce things. I'm going to let you say Barone because I'm kind of delighted by that. Well, Baron is obvious, but I don't... Baron. Like our president's son. <laughs> I'm assuming you're going to turn this off. <laughs> Little Baron Trump. I'm going to cry. I'll go with Baron. Does Baron make you Baron. Happy? Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay. The kingdom of Baron begins a militaristic expansion, and one of its generals starts to have doubts. He ends up on a voyage of self-discovery, as well as finding out the dark secret behind Baron's power grab, and only he and his friends can save the world. Now that is a pretty epic, condensed summary right there. I do what I, I can. mean. I mean, and, and it, yes, you did very good on that summary. It's also a testament to how good this game is, how yeah. good that story It's is. actually a really great story. Um, although, one thing I did notice in this playthrough is that I didn't remember, because it's been a while since mm -hmm. I played the original version, and honestly, it's been a while since I played any version, although I've played it so many times, Yeah, is how quickly the story goes. The beats went much faster than I remembered. Like, I was at Mount Ordeals within, like, two or three hours, and I remember... Yes. In my mind, that was more like the halfway point of the game. Yeah. As a child, renting that game over and over again, having <laughs> to restart it over and over again, I felt like it was much, much longer. Um, but no, you're absolutely correct. I recorded all the footage for this game, and I feel like... And I've played it so many times, it was kind of a blast-through playthrough. And I think I did it in, like, ten hours or something. Um... But Rob, which is not which is not anything against the game. I need you to tell me about the characters. I know we do need to talk about the characters. I really like the characters. A notable thing, though, is um, Cecil. So Cecil is the main character. He's a dark knight of the kingdom of Baron, and uh, he he's having some. He's questioning what they're doing. The Baron is trying. The king of Baron is trying to take all of the crystals from all the different kingdoms in the world and basically rule the entire world. And he's not real cool with that. Um, so, so he's this, so he's a military captain. This is the point I'm trying to get to. He's 20 years old, but that's he's what I was going to say. Okay. He's like 20. And he's the general he of the army. He's the general of the entire Red Wing army of Baron. And then his best friend, Kane, is like 21, 19, 19 or something, and is like the number one dragoon in the He's also the kingdom. only dragoon that you see, but supposedly he's in charge of them, but you never see any of the others. Well, that was just a mistranslation. This is, we played the old Super NES English text version of this game, and the script is a little nah. Yeah. Um, in terms of all the revised scripts they've had since then. Um, so anyway, all the, ca all the characters are still really young. They're not literally teenagers. Most of them. But they're still really, really young. Um, uh, yeah, characters are really good. There's a, there's a huge cast in this game. Um, one thing I like is there's no, like, will they or won't they really exhausting love story. No, like, it's pretty much a given like from the go. Cecil, These two are kind of a couple. Cecil and his girlfriend Rosa are already a couple. She comes to his room for a late night booty call. 
the very beginning of the game. I feel like it was translated differently than that. <laughs> well, I mean, you have to read between the lines. Oh, okay. Um, so there's no, like... They do have a makeout sprite. There's the no... Share, right. share a square. It's not like they've never kissed. I mean, they're having late-night booty calls. Although, so. what's, what's interesting is, I actually... They recently came up with this Ultimicia, which is a new collection of fan art and behind-the-scenes mm -hmm. information about the Final Fantasy series. And I was reading about four, and they say that the moment when, after Cecil saves the, her life, and they actually have that makeout right. scene... That's the moment when he stops fighting his love for her and their relationship truly begins. Up until that point, he's a reluctant... Which I think is a real interesting cultural thing. Because, I mean, even at, not as like a young child, not when I was like nine years old, but even when I was like a teenager playing this game. I'm oh, like, at she's nine, totally I, coming up to his room to, you know... At nine, I even got, okay, boyfriend, girlfriend, We got know it. what she's doing. So maybe the Japanese don't know. I don't know. Anyway, I'm not getting into all that. Um, but you haven't really touched the best character in the game. Uh, Sid? Kane. <laughs> no, Kane is the best character in the game. Kane is, Kane is the Dragoon. He's the main character of Cecil's best friend. And he's an example that is like rife in RPGs now of the like best friend rival character that is actually way more interesting than the main character. Because Cecil gets to go through his whole redemption arc in the midst of the game, but you're watching Kane like do all of the really bad stuff, and you don't even get a redemption arc for his him. His redemption just, arc starts at the very end of the, the game. End the ending game. is like, I'm going to go up to Mount Ordeals and I'm going to find my inner strength. Yeah, you're watching him just make like really bad decisions. No, they're under, not. They're not under mind story. control. But they even say that the only reason he's mind controlled is because he's already having all of those thoughts. Because his jealousy made him yes. weak. He's also in love with Rosa, and he's jealous of everything that Cecil has. So he's a way more interesting character. One thing I really would have liked to know more about in this game is... He's also madly in love with Cecil, by the way. Just like all of those other characters, like Sora and Riku, those boys love each other more than I've ever loved anything. Kingdom Hearts. I know. Okay. Okay. Um, One of the things... That there were a lot of incidental characters that seemed very interesting to me, like the Magus sisters. They show up out of nowhere, and they have this chemistry with each other, and they, like, I want to know their backstory. I know, I love those girls. Uh, I mean, Dr. Lugie? Lugie? Yeah. Like, this mad scientist who creates abominations out of people and builds a Frankenstein robot? I want to know where he came from. It's crazy that you even mentioned that, because like we've said, we don't talk about these games a lot before we do these reviews, and I was thinking the same thing during this playthrough. I'm like, I want to know more about these random villains because that have such personality and show up for one fight. Yeah, but they very clearly are fleshed out characters. Right, yeah. We just don't get to see it. Right. So, Which is a shame. Spin-off spin -off idea. Square. <laughs> Square. Well, they did make a sequel that I still haven't played. I don't Real know bad. why. Real bad. Don't okay. ever play it. Well, then that's probably why Real I haven't bad. There, there is one thing about the story that does bug me. Uh, and in the name of being fair, let's talk about the number of noble sacrifices. <laughs> I mean, it becomes a drinking game. Anna kills herself to save Edward. Who's Anna? Oh, Anna. okay. I, I, Take I your it. pick. Well, they, don't, was, they don't say the name in the game. No, I was oh just thinking, who is the playable character name? Okay, and I know who you're talking about. Now. Anna? Do you prefer Anna? No, Anna's fine. I just... 
so Anna a basically happens. leaps on Edward and dies saving him, right? The twins, Palum and Porum, turn themselves to stone to disarm a trap that would crush the party, and they are gone. Tella uses up his life energy for revenge. He dies. He's gone. Yang locks himself in a room with exploding uh, cannons. He's gone. Then Sid. Oh my god, Sid. <laughs> oh my god. He literally just blows himself up. 60-year-old man. As the airship is going up through a miles-long tunnel of rock, jumps off the ship with a bomb strapped to him, blows it up mid-air to destroy the passageway and prevent the bad guys from following him, falls the rest of the way after blowing himself up. Later, you find him <laughs> sleeping it off. <laughs> Yang is sleeping off being in the middle of an explosion. Sid is sleeping off being in the middle of an explosion and falling for miles. Like, the only sacrifice that sticks are Anna's and Tella's. Tella's, yeah. But all these other sacrifices are like, yeah, but not really. Yeah. That's why it's a it's, fun drinking game. You take a shot every time one of them dies. It's, it's and ridiculous. And like gulp an entire beer as all of them come back to life <laughs> at the end of the game. It, it's ridiculous, and then it gets to Sid, and it's like it's a parody of itself. Like, how on or he's little chunks of meat. It's real good. It's real good unintentional. He just needs a nap. And he's fine again. And then he gets up and he works on an airship and then he goes to take another nap. Sid could have saved that world by himself. You're no kidding! He just needed a power nap and he yeah. was good to go. So that's all I had for story and characters. Yeah. Was there anything We didn't even get to mention Rydia. Okay. Who's my favorite character. Sure. I just like her a lot. She's the summoner. She's kind of the beginning of that whole legacy of She summer. doesn't sacrifice herself, but she does die at a certain yeah. point in the story, too, And by she's the way. real neat. She starts out as a little girl, and then she goes to the land of the summoned Some monsters. monsters, and then she, like, ages up, and um, she and has... In the process, forgets how to use white magic for some reason. Yeah, that was real dumb. That's part of growing up. But my point, what I like to bring up we about her, her nice. is it is... Easily in my top five favorite. Her so when she comes back to the party, you're in the middle of a fight against that the Golmez that you cannot win. Main, main villain of most of the game. Um, he's about to kill you. You're in the middle of battle, and then all of a sudden, this dragon that you fought at the beginning of the game, that was a summoned monster, shows up in the middle of the battle and kills Golbez's dragon. And you're like, what the fuck is going on? I want more details on his dragon, by the way, too. Like, he has this oh, pet. Oh, is right. It's very he clearly pet his dragon. pet that he never references again. Right. So this, this mist dragon shows up, and it's like, you fought this dragon before, and it was, like, connected to Rydia and the village of the summoners, and blah, 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 and you're like, what the fuck is going on? And then she just shows up in battle and, like, decimates Golbez with her magic and her summoning. It's the, it's the best introduction. It's not just, like... A character on the overworld, like appearing out of nowhere, and you have a little conversation. And yeah. blah, blah, blah. It's like she joins you mid combat. Mid combat when you are about to die. Yeah. It's it, the it is the best a, moment. It is a great cavalry moment. It very. Uh, although this, you did touch on something that reminded me. One other thing to talk about the story because in the past we talked about the trope of the surprise boss, mm. uh, and we've got our next special episode coming up in a couple of episodes where we'll talk about the tropes again. Um, and this is the game I always use as, as an example of surprise boss because to me this is the one that sticks out the most 
how long would you say the game is? 30 hours? 20 I mean, if you're playing it normally, probably 20 to 30. And so like for 90% of that, the boss is Golbez. You're going after Golbez, he's the big bad. Then you beat Golbez, and it goes, oh, but wait, I was being controlled by this bigger bad guy. He's the real boss. So you go through one last dungeon and kill that boss. Except you don't, because by the time you get to the end of that dungeon, characters <laughs> have beaten that boss, and you're like, oh, well, I guess the game's done. And then that boss's evil intent yeah. personifies, and that's your end boss. So it's not even, wait, Golbez isn't the end boss? No, it's this other guy. Except it's not even him. It's the spirit of his anger. I, I don't like that. I, I, I think it's more satisfying when they don't switch him out at the last second. Another fun drinking game. Yeah, I mean. So Final Fantasy IV is, for me, iconic for that trope of, here's your boss, here's your boss, here's your boss. Not really. Anyway, uh, we've been talking for a long time. We should go ahead it's and move game. on. It is a good game. We should move on to the combat system. Okay. <laughs> oh, and uh, I was going to say, so uh, much talking. The uh, noble sacrifices. Edward gets out of bed and plays the harp. Yes! Rock. Yes! <laughs> There's so many <laughs> until death. In this game. I mean, until he falls asleep again. Right. Edward, Jesus. <laughs> they could not have made him it. more pitiful. I know, I just love that that's his noble sacrifices. He gets right. out of bed slowly and plays harp. Right. And then has to be escorted back to bed. Yeah. I can't wait. And his special ability is to hide. And by the way, once his HP gets low enough that he starts hiding, you can't get him to come out long enough to heal him. He's no. just done for that battle. Yeah, yeah he done. He is... And his lost ability that they that they removed, because we're talking about the versions and innovations, mm -hmm. I think. His, uh, his, his other ability is equally useless. It's, Take a potion and divide it by five. Great, everybody gets two hit points. Yeah, you're healing six HP apiece. Right. <laughs> I don't know why they went out of oh. their way to create the most useless character possible. But and, they did. Um, Final Fantasy IV DS has voice acting, and it is Anna. Oh. Anna! Because Edward's voice is like that. He's is, like, it, is it Baron? Oh, Anna! Baron. Damn it. <laughs> I, I am going to say. I used to call them Palum and Perum until he. Palum and Perum. I was trying to think of what you said. Mm -hmm. Because I ne renamed all the characters, and I was trying to think of what you said. Palum and Perum is Palum how I Perum. always yeah. So apparently I pronounce things badly. Yes. I wasn't even saying, I literally forgot who Anna was for a minute. Yeah. She's not a playable character. Yeah. Anna. You only ever see her. At dead. this point, I just wanted to stack the deck of sacrifices. Okay. And I was always confused over whether it was Cecil or Cecil because Cecil is a Yeah, they say Cecil Anna. in that DS game. Do they? Oh, I they thought they said, said Cecil. No, they say Cecil. Oh, yeah, they do. But They're I've right. always said Cecil. But yeah. like it's Cecil B. DeMille. Right. You know, that's yeah. one of the few Cecils we know, but Cecil mm -hmm. is also a name. And that's, it is a Ryu situation. When I read Cecil, I was like, oh, it's Cecil. Yeah. Well, I, in college, was talking to a friend of mine about now, Rydia. Rydia or Rydia? And he said Rydia. And I was Rydia. like, what are you talking about? I always and thought I, Rydia. And it's Rydia. It's Lydia. With because it's Lydia. Yeah. 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 We, we guessed correctly on that one. But, I, but somebody said Rydia. And I'm like, you're that a crazy combat system is very typical of what you would expect from the Final Fantasy series. Uh, it is notable, though, because it is the largest party size of any Final Fantasy yeah. game mm -hmm. at five characters. Most of them have 
four, and then the more modern ones have had three, mm -hmm. five characters at a go, which really you get to spend some time deciding who's on the back row, who's on the front row, who benefits from long range. They make it so everybody can equip a bow if you want to stick them in the back with a bow. So you've got some personalization options there. Um, also, the action is more timing based, right? It's not just at the beginning of a round, pick an action for each character. Yes, this was the, this was the first Final Fantasy to use the trademarked active time battle system. Um, so you're not picking all options for your characters and then watching them execute those attacks on the enemies. You have a, in this game it was invisible, yeah. but you have a meter that in later games was actually visible that fills up over time. When it's full, they get to pick an action, take an action, then it fills up for them to use the right. action. Different actions have different charge times. Mm -hmm. uh, like the twins using their twin power takes a little longer than them long casting time. magic, but it's so worth it. It is worth it. Uh, speaking of magic, in this game, magic is earned as characters level up. It's a very straightforward and simple way. It can be a little irritating, I guess, but it also means... Which is why Rydia's summons, I like her too, they kind of spice things up, because except for the summons, she gets automatically at different points in the game. You have to fight a lot of those, uh, yeah. those bosses to get those abilities for, which is a nice mix-up in a game where everything else is just kind of happening to you as you go along. But you once told me something interesting about the leveling system. Do you remember that? Yeah, the level... So, so this is something I, I tried out for myself after I heard about it, is the characters... So the characters can reach level 99 in the game. Mm -hmm. um, but once your character surpassed level 70, the, the stat gains that they get become random. They're always a little bit random. You're not going to get the exact same like stat gains every level that you would on every playthrough. But after level 70, they become so randomized, something in the, in the coding, some can actually go down. They have a, you have a, the potential to lose, on a very small level, to lose some stats. HP, MP, strength. All of your stats are just completely random after level 70 and can go. Including negative. And can go down. And I tested it for myself, not this time when we were playing it, but another time. I was playing it on an emulator and I just had my characters get a whole bunch of experience and then kind of marked down what they're getting. And like, yeah, Cecil's HP went down by like six points or something <laughs> during the level game. Which is what you expect to do when you max out your characters. And I don't know if that was intentional so that you don't... Um, max your character so much that the final boss is a joke, or if that was like a, like programming errors, or I would exactly lean more towards programming errors, yeah. just, but I'm guessing. So, um, but yeah, I, I had read that on the internet, and I tested it out, and sure enough. Um, another thing with the magic is almost any spell can be applied to one entity or all of them, be it your own party or all of the enemies, which I like having that freedom yeah. And back in the day, the thing I want to point out is, like, back in the day, all that was new. Yeah. I mean, the, the NES Final Fantasies didn't do that. Rust? Well, never mind. No, I know. It's called... Good but grief. we're not here. We're not. Good grief. We're not talking about innovations yet. So I can't point something at No, go ahead and point it out. You have my permission. Now we're just bickering. Better on. Okay. Edit, 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 edit. I can't edit in the middle of a segment. Well, you can't. Yeah. No, no, no. It's not how it works. No, they're stuck listening to all this now. I hope you're happy. I am happy. Is there anything else in the combat system? 
No, there was not. I feel like this is a little bit of the opposite for anybody that watched our last Golden Sun review. I feel like it's a little bit of the opposite for me because I love the characters and the story and everything that that brought. And the battle system is like... It's very By today's standard, it's it is the most basic battle yeah. system that you can have in a JRPG. There's, there's nothing to write home about this combat yeah. system. It's, it's fine. It functions well. I don't have it a does. problem with it. But it does not come out with innovations. It's not breaking any formulas. It's fine. Yeah. It, it works. Let's go on to innovation. Innovation. Innovations. Russ, do you want to talk about the different versions of this game? Oh, God. <laughs> you kind of surprised me with that. Um, so, no. Because there was I the knew. easy version and the regular well, version. The and so, the easy. so, the original version was in Japan. It was called Final Fantasy IV. Then, also in Japan, there was another version called Final Fantasy IV Easy Type, mm -hmm. which was just easier. Enemies enemies were easier, it took less experience to gain a level, items were condensed, so in the original Japanese version you had to use like an antidote to cure poison and a maiden's kiss to cure toad, they can turn you into a toad. Yeah. Um, those items were condensed into one heal potion. Um, prices at shops were reduced, treasure chests were changed. Combat so abilities? Combat a bit, well in the Japanese version the combat abilities were removed. Oh, that was yeah. just for us. That was just for us. So, what I'm leading to is... This is why I have Russ around. He's yeah. the expert. So, so Japan got the real Final Fantasy IV that we didn't get until, I guess, that Game Boy Advance remake, or the one on the PS1. Then they got the Final Fantasy IV easy type. Then they gave us an easier version of Final Fantasy IV easy type. That we called Final Fantasy II. We got the Fisher also, Price version. We got the Fisher Price version. We got the Duplo version <laughs> of, <laughs> of Final Fantasy We got the GoBots. Two, right? yeah. um, and what you were saying is that they removed abilities. So, like Cecil, your Dark Knight main character, in the Japanese versions had an ability called Darkness or Dark Wave or whatever. Um, and he would expend his own health. To damage all damage enemies. all enemies, throw out this shadow wave. Now here's the enemies. thing: you and I talked about this briefly earlier yeah. today, and they took that out. Yeah, in the American version, he could only he attack or use an item, which makes it harder to know what you're supposed to do in the game later on. Yeah. There's that fight when he's fighting his darker self, and the secret is you're supposed to just sit there and take it. If you fight back, the fight never ends. You're supposed to sit there and take the damage, and you grow from it. And the reason it works is. Because the enemy is using the dark wave power. If you have the dark wave power, if you have a version of the game that that's in, mm -hmm. you know that using that ability right. hurts you. Using it over and over will kill. So will you kill would know himself. that he's hurting himself, and all right. you have to do is ride it out. Like there's a clue there that is completely missing from right. the American version. Yeah. But all the other characters have uh, extra abilities too. Tella has remember, which lets him randomly cast a spell. Because when he first joins your party, he's forgotten most yeah, of his he spells. Know a lot of magic. But he can randomly do like a flare. It's possible. Right. So that's kind of neat. Rosa, um, can, Rosa can pray, which will, uh, for no cost, restore the yeah. party's HP, but doesn't always work. 
Uh, uh, Edward can split a potion amongst all the party members, which is as useless as Edward. Yeah, each each character can heal about six HP with that. Yang ability. can double up. Basically, he builds up attack power yeah, for Yang one had turn. Two two abilities removed. Well, no, he still had kick. He had kick, but then he had one that would double his attack power if you waited, and he had another one that would double his defense. Oh yeah, if you you know. I'm trying to think who else around. had stuff that was taken um, out. Oh, the twins. The girl twin could cry. Oh, and that's it would right. Lower and defense. the boy ten could bluff. Yes, and it would raise his magic power. Yeah, yeah. Almost all. Almost of the every character lost an ability, which I think is a shame. Um, and then since then, there there are so many versions of this game now. It's been retranslated like yeah. five different ways. Uh, the DS version adds extra dungeons. Most of the remakes change it so that near the end of the game, you can now pick your party. Whereas originally, this game was extremely linear, right? You had no control over who was in your party at any time. It was strictly yeah, story-based. There, there are like 12 total characters, but only five can yeah. ever be in your party, and they just come and go. You never choose. But they, they've in later versions, they've made it so that now you can swap out. And Which you can was really needed. That's my biggest complaint about this game. After having played it so much and then playing it this time with such a critical eye... I realized how linear the game is, that it's really the most linear Final Fantasy it is. that they've ever made. Even the NES ones that came before it had more customization. I mean, you could pick you could pick your yeah. characters, you could pick your character classes. Even in Final Fantasy II, you could pick what weapon, you know, any weapon for your character to use. You could buy their magic. Final Fantasy II. I mean, the NES games had more customization. Yes, this was this more game. like watching a movie than any Final right. Fantasy before. But it was a really good movie. It was so, a really good movie. That's what that's um, what saves it. So real quick, it had hidden objects in town, which we've talked about, which gives you an excuse to explore. I like that. It had se uh, secret side quests, which mm -hmm. I enjoy. Uh, that's Hunting down summoned monsters for Rydia. There's even secret hidden monsters. Like, uh, you, you told me once you got an imp on the first try without knowing it was a thing you yeah, could do. Yeah, so at the beginning of the game, the very weakest monster in the game is, a, is an imp. And there's a tiny micro percent chance that when you defeat one, you can get an item called imp. And then when you get Rydia in your party, you can use it on her, and then she can summon the imp. And I think there's one other there's creature. A, well, there's four. You can, oh. There's a bomb that you can do. There's a cockatrice, and there's a mind flayer that okay. you can only get in that metallic cave. And you and they have teeny tiny, they're like 0.4% chance or something. But there's also the king and queen of summoned monsters, right? the god of summoned monsters, mm -hmm. and the sylphs. And the sylphs, and the and sylphs Odin, have man. their own secret quest. Oh, yeah, and Odin. Uh, yeah, the sylphs lead you on the quest to get the spoon. The spoon knife, which does which 9,999 right. damage. It is a max damage item. It's actually a really fun little quest. Uh, we talked about Yang sacrificing himself earlier. Uh, and if you don't look for this side quest, you don't see Yang until near the end of the game when it turns out, oh, all the characters are okay except yeah. Tella. Um, but if you find him before that moment in the game, he's at the bottom of a cave being cared for by some monsters called sylphs. If you go down and find him, he's asleep and can't wake up. You then go talk to his wife, who gives you a frying pan and says, go wake him up. You then go back through the sylph cave all the way to the bottom again, hit him over the head with the frying pan. He wakes up. You then go back to his wife again, and she gives you the spoon dagger, which is a maximum damage object that Edge can throw. And, like, there is nothing in the game that points you towards this no, quest. No, not at all. I kind of, I like that because it gives a game like this that is so 
straightforward and on rails. It gives you some freedom to right. explore. It gives you an excuse to explore. There's two hidden swords, the Excalibur and something else. You have to get the pink tails, the super rare. Oh, yes. Yeah, I can't, is, I can't even remember what I it's don't called. I remember what it's called either, but but yes, there's a super rare monster that gives a super rare item that gives that a you super rare sword. sword. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite the convoluted. I've never managed to get it. No, no, no it, it's so hard to get the super rare item. Uh, the game does have a limited inventory, which I don't like, but it does give you a workaround in the form of the fat chocobo, which can be long-term storage right. for any item. And that is just the greatest, like funniest, item storage that they could have This is giant bird. It's like, I guess I can store it in my stomach for you. Yeah. You throw it in his mouth and then, funnily enough, not in the version that we played, but in all the later versions, the, like, giving uh, the the Chocobo, the, the item is called Eat, and then getting it back is called Barf. Yeah! And that is my kind of humor right there. Um, and we, I feel like we talk about this with almost every game. So the game tells you who can equip an item when you're purchasing it, which I like, but it does not tell you if that item is better, worse, or the same as what you already have equipped. I hate that. I like that at least I can tell who can equip something, but I hate when the game can't give me just a little up arrow or a little down arrow. I'm not Dude, asking for a lot credit, here. though, they don't do a lot of confusing things with that. No, it's, I mean, it's, it's a much, fairly standard progression. If you're in a new town, then pretty much whatever you can buy there is going to be better than what you had. I know, but... I mean, other. I'm just saying Even other in this games, playthrough, when I was being yeah. cautious of it, I still at least once bought an item I already had equipped uh -huh. because I lost track of, oh, I already have that. Well, now I've just wasted half the money because I sell it back for half price. Just like... We had it on a Game Boy Color game. Lufia 3 was able to show us That's true. who can equip what and is it better. Oh. Life's real hard. It is. Okay. We've been talking a lot. Yeah, we have. Well, it's a good game. We should let somebody else talk. Sure. So we're going to be joined by Chris Taylor from Gimmick, who is going to help us talk about the music of Final Fantasy IV. join us again. I'm glad your schedule opened up for another month. <laughs> Amazing. And I still have the same cat hairs on my sweater. We all do. <laughs> so, tell us about the music of Final Fantasy IV. Oh boy, the music of Final Fantasy IV. Well, uh, Does it have music? There's music, music in Final Fantasy IV. Yes. Okay. Yes. Is it good? Um, no, not really. Okay, we'll see you guys next time. Later. <laughs> no, go ahead. Okay. So, of course, as everybody knows, the, uh, the Final Fantasy, the first ten games, uh, were largely or entirely composed by Nobuo Umatsu. Uh, I don't actually know how to pronounce his name very correctly, but that's... Yeah, oh, yeah. Umatsu. U Umatsu, yeah. Anyway, uh, we call him Al Fantasy. And, uh... <laughs> you kind of lost. <laughs> <laughs> and Russ is gone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, uh, so Al Fantasy, this is his uh, fourth Final Fantasy to compose for, by which I mean, of course, he was composing all of Squaresoft stuff back then, so he actually uh, composed for 3D Battle of World Runner and also Rad Racer. Rad Racer. Rad Racer. Was that the game that almost bankrupted the company? Uh, I think that was one of them. And then they had to make they Final Fantasy money. to save it. Yeah, yeah they mm -hmm. 
they had to yeah they had to they had to do something. Uh, turns out writing music for fantasy games was uh, was was just the thing for Al Fantasy. So he uh, he wrote these great soundtracks for the original Final Fantasy games, but of course he was limited by uh, the NES hardware, which would allow for uh, one noise track, one triangle track, which would either be a bass or a flute, depending on how it was tuned, and two square waves, which are basically all of your melody and harmony. Uh, he did three games this way, very effectively, but with Final Fantasy IV, suddenly, he had eight channels to work with, and he worked all eight of them constantly. So this is the first game that is really uh, introduces uh, Uematsu's, like, his penchant for orchestral and yet memorable music. Uh, you can tell that just from the very beginning with the little uh, Final Fantasy arpeggio, which, you know, everybody knows that song. Mm -hmm. It's when you first turn on the game. But in this particular chapter for the first time, it actually introduces a counter melody that has been used, you know, ever since in the mm -hmm. series. And uh, that shows that, you know, this, this whole thing is, like, just much, much bigger uh, in terms of, like, how the music, like, uh, how big the music is compared to the game. And, uh, and in fact, like, you start to notice, and espe we, especially in the American audiences, notice because this is our second Final Fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but even going through all four of them, on the fourth one is when music started really punctuating parts of the story. Um, so when, you know... So uh, I'm pretty musically illiterate, which is why we always have guest reviewers in here. And even I'm aware, like, every character has their own theme in this yeah, game. Yeah. Which right. I, I love when a game does that. When it yeah. gives characters themes, it gives them more life to me. Makes yeah. them more identifiable. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and it lets you know, because the writing is so minimal, especially with the translation we were given. Yeah. Which, by the way, uh, as an anecdote, that translation was handed to Ted Woolsey, who... Uh, oh, God. He, no, he's the translator of Final Fantasy VI. But yeah. the translation was handed to him when he first worked at Square, and they basically gave him that translation, which was made by a Japanese person who didn't speak that much English. And uh, they were like, please do better than this, and you're hired. <laughs> I can't I can't so. forgive Ted Woolsey for Lunar 2. Well, Ted Woolsey uh, I can't. Does, I just Ted Woolsey can't. do Final Fantasy VI? Solo in like I think so. I mean, he much, translated yeah. that whole game by himself okay. in like sixty days. And dude's like a, a master of Japanese yeah. literature. Or All right, fine. Like that, I'll so. give him back some credit. <laughs> Go watch the Lunar Two review because I've got thoughts. <laughs> I've got freaking thoughts about that. He's got thoughts. <clears throat> so uh, you know that aside. Um, so there's very little story, like in terms of like pure text. Uh, most major emotional scenes in the game are about three to four screens, like three to four blocks of text yeah. long. Uh, for that reason, so when Rosa, you know, heads up to Cecil's room for said yes. booty call, right. uh, it switches to the theme of love, which immediately lets you know, okay, these two people are in love. Someone's in love here because this is a very, uh, a very tender, loving theme. And, uh, you know, what makes... Uematsu is such a household name in video game music appreciation is that he's so effective at bringing memorable melodies to the forefront that really tell the story even better than the text can. And, uh, you know, so for that reason, like, when you walk outside and you hear that intrepid, like, pounding, like, you know, adventure theme, you're like, oh my god, uh, you know, this is really serious. Yeah. Uh, especially because you get to hear for the first time, like, before you ever hear the overworld music for the first time, you hear that 
uh, the the now orchestral version of the Final Fantasy main theme, yes. which tells the story, uh, which I always found boring as a kid because the text scrolled so slowly. <laughs> yeah, I know. But yeah. it's because you're supposed to appreciate the music, and I didn't right. think to. Yeah. Uh, and, in fact, uh, what that also brings up in the overworld theme is the concept of leitmotif, which is a... Uh, uh, it's a mus- musical musician term that I'm I not going to... I remember that term for my music appreciation See? class. Uh, I don't know what it means, but I it, remember the word. Well, it's revisiting a theme, isn't revisiting it? Revisiting a theme. Okay. So a theme that's established, a melody that's established in one scene will be reintroduced in another scene in another context. We had a discussion about the show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Yesterday. So exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Use the theme Settle for Me and it would revisit that right. at moments when yeah. you could that's what it is. So I think I think Al, Fan- Al Fantasy uh, saw that and yes. he was like this is what <laughs> yes. I'm going to do. He, he, he got sound. his time machine. This is yeah, this is this is it, it inspired him to uh, to create this. <laughs> And so, for that reason, when you go to listen to the soundtrack, listen to the overworld theme from the uh, the overworld, that is to say, the, the green earth mm-hmm. that you occupy, and then go underground and listen to the underground theme. It's actually a really similar melody, and it okay. calls upon melodies from the overworld, but in a different context. And even the final, uh, the final confrontation with uh, Zeromus... Um, you know, spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a surprise bad guy whose name you find out just as you're fighting him. Yeah. Uh, this isn't Zemus. This must be Zeromus. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. He's existed for five seconds, but we know his name. Ah, uh, man. Uh, even in that, in that battle theme, you'll hear elements of the overworld theme and other overarching themes in, uh, in the soundtrack. So it's this soundtrack was just like, in 1991, this is huge just the way that this soundtrack kind of uh, changed how we thought about, like, you know, RPG music and things like that. Not to mention the incredible battle themes. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, speaking personally as a bass player, uh, Uematsu was super good at bringing bass tone and, like, you know, actually articulate, like, you know, bass tone to, uh, to video game music, which actually is what inspired me to play video game music on bass, so. There you go. Nice. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, there's, uh, I mean, I could just go for an hour on the soundtrack, so. Oh, let's not do that. <laughs> That's, uh, let's not so do the that. music was there, and no, the, music the music was, was there. Even I, even yeah. I, as impenetrable as I am to music, I love the music of this game. Yeah. Uh, you can go and find orchestral versions of the soundtrack, and they're gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. Um, the music really carries the story along. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, some Even I it, give the music an A plus, and I don't some, do music. Some of it is so intense, like the Gulbez theme. Yes, yes. when those church organs hit. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh huh. And uh, <laughs> I mean, well, the Cal Brenna theme is yeah. creepy. Oh yeah, yeah. I like that one. And they bring it back for the for Doctor Lugie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, I want more. I want to know more about that. <laughs> and the 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 you know mysterious land of the summoners theme, yes. which I really love that one. That's a standout. I think one of my favorites though is the giant of Babel theme. Oh, okay. When you get in there, yeah, that's actually got and it uses part of the overworld theme too. Right. So, my favorite is Rydia's theme oh, yeah. because it contains like both notes of sorrow and hope mm-hmm. in the same song. I really like that. I think I had an opinion about music. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> it happened. Were there any songs you didn't like? Not really. There aren't any that really stick. Calbrina's theme is probably my least favorite because it's it's effective. It's creepy. I didn't like honestly the Mysidia 
Okay. Just that. Oh, dun 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 dun. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of Saturn Valley a little bit. It does remind me of Saturn Valley. It's a little irritating. Saturn Valley's not that irritating. It is funny because that scene is like bookended by, you know, that super serious Paladin's theme. Yeah. Or the the you know when you're talking to the elder. Right. Yeah. And um, I think mine that always got me when I was a kid, I was like, ugh, was the Fabul theme. Oh. oh. Just those synths blasting in. <laughs> and the pitch bends, and then it just gets into this, like, chuggy little, like, and, you know, it's, it's very, um, it's a very, like, eastern pastiche. Yeah. yeah. Which, uh, you yeah, have a white guy had written it. Oh, I know. No, no, no. <laughs> but, uh, apart from that, no, it's... Maybe Edward's harp theme. Because it's Edward. Oh, no. No, that's beautiful. <laughs> it's Edward. And I love that they use the harp in tr- the Troya theme, where you find yes, him, because... That's, yeah. Well, yeah he's, that was always a favorite of mine. The, the Troya, Troya theme. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah. All right. Cool. That's music. All we right. love music. Hey. So it's time to move on to final thoughts. Final thoughts. to final thoughts um the game like i've said probably like eight times in this review it's a good game um it's actually a great game i would give it an a the only reason that i don't give it an a plus is because it is linear it is the most linear of all of the final fantasy games even the nes uh games that uh came before it were less linear than this because you could choose character classes you could you know, buy your own magic and, and customize your characters in ways that you can't do in this game. But that being said, I think I think the reason it is that way is they, they sacrificed maybe um, some of the innovations in... Well, I shouldn't say that because the, the, the game actually was very innovative um, for its day. The, the thing is that the story was so amazing that it made up for the linear progression. Like Jeff said earlier, it was like watching a movie and when we in the United States eventually got better translations for this game, um, it was a very good movie. Um, so for that reason, I give it an A and just have to take the plus away because if I would have gotten to maybe change the character classes and put all those characters in different little outfits like you can do in Final Fantasy V, it could have had the plus back. Um, so yeah, so if you want to play this game, I highly recommend it. So I agree with pretty much everything Russ said, except I am giving it the plus. Because, as we've discussed before, my primary enjoyment in any video game is the story. Stories are the reason I play 90% of the games that I do. Uh, I love movies, I love TV shows, I love video games, I love stories. And this one has a great story. The fact that it is so linear doesn't bother me because the story is so good. I'm fine with it. You've constructed a really great story with some really nuanced characters, more so than we've seen up to this point, uh, more so than a lot of JRPGs. Um, And so I'm fine with you taking away a little bit of my freedom to tell me exactly the story you want to tell me. So I absolutely will give the game an A+. It will always be one of my top five favorite games. I love the characters when I was a little kid. I wanted the characters to be friends of mine. I wanted a sequel game where it was just them walking around chatting with each other in a world at peace. I love the story. I love the game. Uh, 
that's a very biased opinion. Final Fantasy IV. Obviously, I give it an A+, and here's why. Uh, towards the end of the game, you're about to go face off against the ultimate evil. You found out the real truth about Golbez, you found out, you know, Kane has rejoined your party, um, and actually had this sort of scene where he offered to have Edge, like, murder him if he turns on them again. So, like, that's how committed he is to your cause. Uh, and then, for no reason at all, Cecil kicks the two women off of the Great Whale, their, their spaceship, um, because it's, it's just too, like, you know, despite the fact that they've been adventuring together for this whole game, um, Cecil has decided that going to the moon and defeating a great evil is just too much for two women. So they leave the ship, and then they get to the moon and find out that they actually were still there and that they weren't gonna, you know, Rosa wasn't gonna leave Cecil alone, blah, blah, blah. Uh, that means that in this scene, uh, these two women, Rosa and, and Rydia, clung to the side of a spaceship to go on a trip all the way to the moon just because they, not even for the cause, it's just because Rosa didn't want to be away from Cecil. Uh, for that reason that alone, I give this game an A+. Because absurdity, you know, that we know now, uh, that was actually really, like, emotionally important when we were kids. Uh, you know, it's a story we took really seriously, and now it's just utterly wild. So, if you uh, happen to rent this game from the Blockbuster video in Mineral Wells, Texas, and you find that the fourth data slot says, please don't save over this, or just don't save over this, uh, no, it's please don't save over this, uh, follow those instructions, because I just got to the moon, and I need to beat this game, so. That was Final Fantasy IV. Yeah. When I get home, I'm going to write a short story about Rosa and Rydia clinging to the side of the lunar whale <laughs> and like what they talked about <laughs> on cold the journey to the moon. <laughs> Skirts were a bad choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if you want to play Final Fantasy IV, go ahead. Oh, it's everywhere. It is everywhere. Ev there are versions on every system. Um, there's PSP, there's Game Boy Honestly, Man. I'd steer you away from the original release. Uh, any of the... Any of the later releases have been retranslated to add more depth to the characters and stories, which is this game's primary selling point. Yes. So, uh, I being would... able to pick your party at the end, I'm kind of at because the game was very clearly sculpted with a specific end party in mind. All of a sudden, the fact that you can bring Edward doesn't really add much. It has a lot for me, so I don't know what you're talking about. But uh, the better translations, adding back the abilities, all great for me. I would say, I mean, my personal recommendation, play the PSP version, because it's just the best one graphically. Go get a PSP. And then it has, right, go get a PSP, play the PSP version, and then also play the DS version, because the DS version is actually wildly different um, from, the, from all other versions. So... So, typically, we've been trading off. I pick a game, Russ picks a game, I pick a game, Russ picks a game. Uh, but our schedule got a little wonky, and so Russ was responsible for the last two games, and I'll be responsible for the next two games. So, next time, we will be playing Fantasy Star 2 for the Sega Genesis. We're playing Fantasy Star 2. Yes. For the Sega Genesis, I think. Is that the system? 
I don't know why you're acting like this. Fantasy Star 2 is a game, right? I didn't make Fantasy this Star up. Fantasy Star 2 is a game, yes. But I didn't think we were playing Fantasy Star 2. Well, Next. we are. Okay. And then we're playing a mystery game. Oh. Oh, okay. You poor boy. Uh, so we'll see you guys back next time for Fantasy Star 2. Uh, hopefully Chris will be able to join us again. Uh, we'll see you then. See you then. Home on the RNG is a presentation of Mad Centaur Productions. You can find Jeff on youtube.com slash centaurproductions or on Twitter at Jeff Centaur. You can find Russ on Twitter at RussMech25. Chris Taylor can be found on Twitter at EnrichFlavor or on Twitch as LiarExaggerate. Also, check out his band Gimmick. Thank you for listening, and remember, it's dangerous to go alone. Take this podcast with you. Reminds me, um, before y'all get into the next segment, something that's really funny is that, okay, so do you know the NES game Rygar? I can yeah. pretend I do, sure. Okay, yeah. well, it's, you know, you're, you're a guy with a with a disc armor, which is a shield that acts like a yo-yo, that you okay. hit things, and um, you, well, uh, yo-yo weapon. yeah, it's like a Metroidvania, basically, uh, early NES one, like, the arcade game was completely different, but the NES one was like a Metroidvania before either of those was really big. And, um, like, the end boss is called Ligar, L-I-G-A-R, or no, Liger, like a, like a lion and tiger, like the Napoleon mm-hmm. Dynamite thing, and, uh, it's just a two-headed lion, whatever, and, um, no, it's, it's, that's a different boss, but no, it's, but it's, it's the Liger. Sure. Uh, so, everybody has always assumed that Rygar is the name of the hero, but the hero is actually just a nameless hero, he's the hero of Argul. Uh, the reason the game is called Rygar is because it's named after the final boss, but the L was switched to the R, (laughs) and it was anglified to Rygar. They do that a lot. So it's supposed to be Liger, but they are like, it's actually Rygar. Nice. Nice. Yeah, bit of trivia there for early translation foibles.
Well, I guess that was confusing. R R and L. It's the same character in Japan, so of course, of course, it's gonna be like that. Well, honestly, if I wanted to, I could put fight footage over that, and then I could hide and edit under the footage. So I could edit in the middle of a segment. I just don't normally plan to do that. Or I can do like a tissue dance in the middle of. I'm gonna request that you not. Didn't you ever have a woman come to your school when you were a kid? No. And get like two scarves? Oh yeah, the, scarves. the juggling, juggling scarves, yes. And at our school, because we were racist, I guess, it was like an exotic woman. They had exotic women in Joshua? Was, well, she came to us. Oh. You, I mean, you had her imported? We don't allow non-white people in Joshua. Yes. Mm-hmm. This is just me being a weird sense of humor. I'm not actually a racist. I no, I, that I, I understand. Just no, you, I totally know what you're and saying. And I'm like... I'm, I'm not, from a small town in Texas, I'm too, not like so. a MAGA He's person a or something. The only gotta, reason you have to pretend that he's not because racists are very sensitive. <laughs> the only reason he's not a MAGA person is because he's one of them queers. Yeah. Mm. They wouldn't have mm. me. Plus his hair is nice. You shouldn't wear the hat. Your hair is nice. Oh, I mean, it's disappearing. It is disappearing. Oh, mine's, mine's totally gone. So. Yeah. Mine's coming in thicker than ever. <laughs> you have an advancing hairline. I actually do. <laughs> uh, my beard line and is about day. up to here now, and I've got yeah. hairs growing about... This is it. This is my viable face area now. It's turning into a werewolf. One day I'm going to scalp you. I mean, you're just going to wake up and you're not going to have a scalp. I haven't had my hair cut in two months, and it's, it needs it badly. 